0: Welcome to Revival from the Bible, a daily devotional podcast designed to help more people get into God's Word and get more out of the Word. I'm Ben Blakey. It's Wednesday, December 8th, 2021. You know, every once in a while, the world has an idea that isn't terrible. The problem is that the world doesn't know how to flesh out that idea, really have the right motives for that idea, or know where that idea is actually supposed to lead. Consider this idea, be the change. You've heard all kinds of people exhort others to be the change that you want to see in the world, right? Even Michael Jackson can figure out he needed to start with the man in the mirror. But when the world actually tries to live out those platitudes, they don't get Anywhere, but let's think about that idea. Be the change that you want to see in the world. Is there really any truth to that? And that's where, as Christians, there there is a lot of truth. We we should desire change in the world. For starters, we should look at out at the world and say mm, this this is not what it's supposed to be. Uh, this is not going the way that it's supposed to go. We should desire change in the world. And we, as believers who have been transformed by Jesus Christ from the inside out, should be the ones living out that change and desiring for that change to really start with us. And we're going to see a picture of that today as we wrap up this beautiful psalm that we've been reading for the last few days, Psalm 139, where we look at verses 17 through 24. Listen as I read some of those. It starts with some familiar words that we've seen other places in the Psalm in verse 17. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God, how vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I am awake and I am still with you. Just the enormity of God's presence, God's thoughts, God's works really overwhelm the psalmist here. And it just how precious are the thoughts of God he's just amazed at that. But now we see a little bit of a pivot in verse 19. And you start to see some of the application. He knows God is everywhere. He knows God is with him everywhere. So he cries out to God, really, for change in the world. He cries out to God for justice in the world. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, oh God. O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. So, As he uh, considers all of these things, he cries out with some strong language that God would slay the wicked. He talks about hating those that hate God. So there again, we see Christians should desire change in the world. Christians should be crying out to God for justice. In the world, we should look out and see that there is real wickedness going on in the world. There are evil people in the world. We see, I mean, how many people are just taking the Lord's name in vain, and that should stir us up. Uh, There should be a a hatred towards those who are opposed to God at a certain uh, level, right? And and so uh, as we consider all of those things, we should have our own hearts stirred by those things, crying out to God for justice, crying out to God for judgment, crying out to God for change in the world. But then notice where he goes in Psalm 139 verses 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. So let's think about these things for a second. Uh, If you're listening to this podcast— One, I'm guessing most of you that there's a certain sense of frustration when you look out at the world. And let's just start there. If there is no frustration as you look out in the world, wake up, right? We live in a sinful world. The headlines are full of bad news. There should be a frustration. But now we see a couple practical steps of what do we do with that frustration? Well, one, we need to be crying out to God. We need to be uh, really modeling this prayer that we see and and looking to God to bring justice. But then also we need to make that next step of saying God, search me. Lord, search my heart, root out the sin in me. And that's the step I think you know a lot of Christians fail to make. A lot of Christians I think want to cry out for judgment and want to decry the wickedness in the world and that's where we are not wrong when we do that but it's harder to make that next step and say god search my heart where are are you at with that today are you crying out to god today saying god search me know me god show me the sin in my own life god there is so much sin in the world and god do something about it but god what about the sin in me would you help me to root that out? And notice where he he cries out. He doesn't just say, God, uh, search my life and look at my actions. He says, no, search my heart and know my thoughts. He, he's not just looking for, you know, these out and out sins. He's saying, God, get to the deepest core of me. Get inside of me and, and help root out any sin. And even in your own struggle against sin, are you settling for being better than the world? Are you settling for, well, I don't do these big external sins that I see the world doing? Or are you really saying, I want to get it all out. I want to get the roots out of my heart and my thoughts. God, I don't want any part of sin. And even how it describes sin as a grievous way, such a hatred for sin that obviously when we look out at the world, it grieves us. But when we look in the... In the mirror, or we look at our own heart, it grieves us. Do you have that kind of heart for uh, sin and against sin, I should say? This is a good thing for us to think about and pray about today, that we would really be seeking God and truly seeking to be the right kind of change, really a biblical change from the inside out. And I would encourage you to spend some time talking with God today, crying out, saying, God, search my heart. Heart, know my thoughts. God, root out the sin that remains in me because I want to be different. And even as we think about crying out for justice or crying out for God to do what is right in the world, uh, it's good to be reminded that that justice is going to come. And we're reminded of that in a couple of our other passages, uh, a couple of our more prophetic passages today, and let's start with Revelation chapter 10. Now, Revelation chapter 10 kind of comes along with some of these other uh, passages through the beginning of uh, chapter Eleven, kind of an interlude between the sixth trumpet and the seventh trumpet, and, and so in this interlude in chapter ten, where he's reminding him, hey, the end is coming; that the final justice is going to uh, is going to come. Look at how it describes this angel and his message in verse five. It says, And the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised his right hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and what is in it, and the earth and what is in it, and the sea and what in it is in it, that there would be no more delay but that in the days of the trumpet call to be sounded by the seventh trumpet or the seventh angel the mystery of God would be fulfilled just as he announced to his servants the prophets so here there's going to be no more delay at this point things are going to wrap up god is going to bring that that justice ultimately that christians should be crying out for but as we consider even what we see in revelation and the the coming of Christ, as we'll see at the end, and even just the judgment uh, that God brings on the earth. I think there's a picture that we should identify with towards the end of this chapter when it says, it describes him eating this scroll and it will make your stomach bitter, but in your mouth, it will be sweet as honey. As we read Revelation, there, there should be a sense of bitter and sweetness, a sweetness really at the glory of God. And just what we see him doing it as we see the justice finally being accomplished, but also a sense of bitterness as we see really uh, the judgment of God and we consider uh, really what that means for people and for souls who have rejected Christ. So hopefully as we continue to read Revelation, we experience both of those sentiments, a sweetness, but also a bitterness over the the lost and a a mourning uh, for them. We also see more in the, just the prophetic work of God in Daniel chapters 7 and 8 eight and daniel's going to have visions in each of these that think of world kingdoms but we're also reminded of the greatness of god in chapter 7 he sees these four beasts and it seems pretty clear um as we think through this that it we're seeing the uh, the kingdom of babylon and then the medes and the persians and then the greeks and then really the roman empire and some of that even then leading into really more end times from that but he's clearly um Disturbed by all of these visions that he sees, but there's also something that's comforting in the middle, right? When we see uh, these great kingdoms of the earth, and you look at chapter 7, in verse 8, he says, I considered the horns, and behold, there came up against them another horn, a little one, before which three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking great things. So in the midst of all these kingdoms of the world, then he sees this vision of the ancient of days. And the ancient of days comes, and then look what the ancient of days does he gives dominion in verse 13. It says, I saw in the night visions and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which will not pass away. And his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. Wow um, as you think through these things as you look at these kingdoms and even then this you know these horns are different things that ultimately I believe uh, picture the Antichrist and this figure that will be there in the end times in the midst of all that we see the Son of man. And notice, when Jesus uses that term, the son of man, this is the passage that you should be thinking of, Daniel 7. And Jesus is not using the term son of man just to make him seem humble and lowly and oh, identify as just being a human. No, he's using it really to refer to this picture. I am the one that is receiving this kingdom from the ancient of days that will never pass away. It is a statement really of authority. Um, from Christ, as we see him make that in the Gospels. And that's where it's comforting, even as we look at these powers in the world, as we consider the frustrations we have with the world in our own day, as we consider what is still to come in the world, just that we can be confident that Jesus Christ will reign forever and ever. Uh, One commentator put it this way, commenting on Daniel 7, when the course of world history depresses you, look at events from heaven's point of view. And that's a good word for us as well. In chapter 8, you see this vision of the ram and the goat and the ram really uh, makes us thinking and is clearly talking about the kingdom of the Medes and the Persians that will overthrow Babylon. And then you have this picture of the goat, which really represents the Greek empire and the one horn being Alexander the Great. But when when he dies, the kingdom is kind of split then four ways. And it talks a lot about this one figure that really seems clearly to be this man that's going to be known as Antiochus Epiphanes, who will just be a terrible ruler and oppress, especially uh, Israel. And, you know, we see just the abomination that he does in the temple. But what we see here in Daniel 8, I think, is that a lot of his actions will really prefigure uh, what will come from the Antichrist in these final days, really in the period of the tribulation. But again, as you look at all these things, it's amazing to note God's authority over the history that has Already happened and the history that has yet to happen, and we can rejoice in the Son of Man whose kingdom will never pass away. And in the meantime, while we're in the middle of prophecies that have been fulfilled and waiting for prophecies to be fulfilled, we can be encouraged as we wait. And that's really what we can end with in John 14, verses 15 through 31. And so many things that we can be comforted by, first and foremost, that God will give us a helper to be with us forever, that we have the Holy Spirit to guide us through life and he will be with us, he will bring to remembrance all that was said, and we know now we even have that through the New Testament. But through all of that, we can have peace, as Jesus said in verse 27 Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. As we consider who Jesus is, let us not be afraid, let us be at peace today. And as we consider even what's going on in the world, well, we have peace through Jesus Christ, peace through the Holy Spirit, and we can cry out to God for justice in the world. But let's also cry out to God, God, search me, know me. And may we spend time even examining our own hearts, our own thoughts today, as we seek to truly live out the change that Jesus Christ would call for us to live out in this sinful world.